As we join Dave Wurtzen, our study leader, he exhorts us not to confuse the American dream with our Heavenly Father's promise. Even if you live to be 80 and get to drive your mobile home all over the country, it is a poor substitute for the kind of prosperity God wants you to look forward to. Here's Dave with the conclusion of Thanksgiving in a nutshell from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You want to make heaven out of this planet? You got a sick heaven. This planet isn't a good heaven. This planet has all kinds of needs. That was the mistake we're going to learn that the Corinthians made. The Corinthians were acting like they were in heaven already. The Apostle Paul was slugging it out, taking the gospel from one people to the next. He got beat up. He was sick. His body was torn to ribbons time and time again. You know why? Because he loved people like Christ loved them. Try to take the health and wealth gospel into Siberia with you. Go into a concentration camp and say, if you really believe, if you'll pray through, you're going to be healthy and wealthy and possess Russia. You say, well, God's not going to make us wealthy. Yes, he is. I want you to know one day when I go home to be with him, when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, when Christ appears, you'll never see a richer person except for maybe yourself. Because we are going to be the princes and princesses of heaven. And man, you know, God hasn't even told us. You think gold is good here. You girls really like gold. And I, I think gold is a great thing for a wife to wear. I love for Mary to wear those gold necklaces around her neck. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to think, this is so stupid. But as I've gotten older, you get stupider. And you begin to think, you know, boy, that gold stuff. In fact, I remember the first time I went to get Mary a gold necklace, I thought I'd be shelling out about $25. Right. I should have gone shopping when I was a kid. It might have been that when I was a kid. I mean, I started looking at these things, you know. Brother, for 14 karat gold, this stuff is not going to turn brown when you get in the shower. It's big bucks. But one day when we go to be with the Lord in heaven, he hasn't even told us what the beautiful gems of heaven are really going to be. And you know, I know that as I talk to you, it's so hard to get an earthly people to believe in that heavenly kingdom. But I believe that even while I'm talking, that the Holy Spirit can cause you to understand what I'm really saying. Because in everything you've been enriched in Christ, Paul likes to talk about the surpassing riches of his glory. The glory is the manifestation of his splendor. Can you imagine the surpassing greatness of his glory? Can you, you know, the Lord took just six days to make the beautiful planet we have now, and we botched it all up because we've sinned. So all the beauty that you see on this planet is a wrecked version of what the Lord has done in just six days. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like, which is perfect, which has never been boxed, which has never been polluted by sin? Y'all that are artistic, I hope you just run with that. It'll heal your whole being to realize that that's what your future is going to be. And that's what enables us to slug it out here below. Because that's what we're going home to. That's what we're going to awake to. That's what Jesus Christ is preparing for us. And you have been enriched in every way, but not yet. Right now, we're in a spiritual time of his kingdom. 
But God hasn't just said, oh, it's all in the sweet by and by, because it isn't. The Lord mentions in these verses here in 1 Corinthians some things that the Corinthians had right there in the present. He talks about two specific ones that the Corinthians were really gifted at. It says, in every way you've been enriched in him, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. When the Corinthians believed in the Lord Jesus, some amazing things happened. First of all, the Holy Spirit really confirmed the message of Christ. And the Corinthians became unbelievably gifted in declaring that message of the gospel. And I want to begin the book by causing you to realize in the first century world, there is no debate among those that genuinely believe the scripture that the Corinthians were gifted with their mouth. If you went to a Corinthian service, if you went to a Corinthian service, the Holy Spirit would move and two or three Corinthians could stand up and by a direct mighty moving of the Holy Spirit, they could eloquently proclaim the gospel. Now, the gospel might not move you very much because you've heard it from the time you were a kid. Now, I think it still does. And I think it moves a lot of you. But can you imagine being in a first century church where the full gospel of Christ in the sense of Christ dying on the cross for our sins, Christ rising again, the message of the cross was just brand new. It had just happened a few years before. And you didn't have a completed revelation. You didn't have a completed scripture. Because God was just in the process of giving that new revelation, going into another period, just like the period of Moses, where a mighty moving of the Spirit of God was revealing new insights into the will of God. And the gospel, the idea of the Messiah dying on the cross and the Messiah rising again, was being given very clearly to people for the first time. That's the kind of an experience that the Corinthian church was having. And they were eloquent at it. As we go through the book, just to bring out what this word was. Paul talks about in chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, it's foolishness to those who don't believe. But for us who are being saved, it's the wisdom and power of God. In chapter 2, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Some of you say, well, what was the content of this revelation? What was this word that the Holy Spirit marvelously proclaimed to these Corinthians and enabled them to eloquently give, to join with the Apostle Paul in proclaiming this good news? What was it? It was the message, the cross. Christ died for our sins. And second of all, it was 1 Corinthians 15. Christ rose again from the dead. Those two essential, essential realities. In chapter 14, the Lord gifted the Corinthians in the gift of prophecy, which was the ability to give direct revelation from God that was equivalent to the Holy Scriptures. For the example, the Apostle Paul is a great New Testament prophet. You're going to have the gift of tongues, in 1 Corinthians 14, the gift of tongues. Tongues plus interpretation equals this gift of revelation, of the unveiling of the will of God. And in the first century church, the Spirit of God was definitely moving and gifting the Corinthians to do this. What I want you, without getting into all the debate about that, 
What I want all of you to realize is that that message, that eloquent word, which is a simple word, it's foolishness to the world, you have and you understand. In fact, you have a revelation that the Corinthians never had because when the Apostle Paul penned these words in about 55 AD, the book of Revelation wasn't written yet. The book of Romans wasn't really written yet, wouldn't be written for a few more months or a year or so. Much of the New Testament scriptures that any one of you can go and read wasn't written yet. The Holy Spirit was just in the process of giving those revelations. And so what I would say to you, you can thank the Lord for your amazing grace, but have you thanked the Lord for the abounding riches of understanding the gospel? The Apostle Paul also talked to them about their gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge. What was this gift of knowledge? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we learn about accurate understanding of idolatry. And what was really behind idolatry? That there was only one God but one. That there really were not many gods. All these idols were really false. That might not sound like an insight to you. It might not break upon your life. But in the first century world, that was an unbelievable gift of accurate knowledge about spiritual realities for the believers to learn from the Holy Spirit revealing it to their hearts that all these idols that had enslaved them for so long were just pretend. But then they give them a deeper insight that underneath this idolatrous system, there was a whole demonic world. Now, a lot of people laugh at the demonic world, but people shouldn't really laugh upon it. Boy, it's been in all the papers what Satan can do. And some of you are really upset. Well, maybe the occult was involved. Man, the issue is Satan was involved. Where do you think murder comes from? Where do you think lying comes from? Where do you think immorality comes from? It's all part of the kingdom of darkness. But aren't you so glad you have accurate knowledge? Some of you say, oh, man, now tell us all about the occult. What you really need to learn about is Jesus. Jesus is in another league compared to Satan. You don't need to be afraid of Satan. You need to respect him. The only person that needs to be afraid of Satan is the person that walks away from Christ, that is not fellowshipping. Those of you that are fellowshipping in the family of God, you don't understand the safety that you have. You don't understand the, how the prayers of God's people can, can give you so many benefits. You see, what concerns me is when young people walk out of the fellowship with Christ, some of them that are brought up in Christian homes, they say, oh, I'd like to try it out there. Man, it's like walking out into a minefield. It's only when you are out of fellowship, when you walk away from the Lord, that you need to be afraid. When you're in Christ, in Christ, you're in touch with the one who gives us all knowledge, all the knowledge of his beauty and of his grace. And this accurate knowledge that the Corinthians had was of spiritual realities. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 also says that they understood all mysteries. They had a special insight into what the plan of God was. And we'll be getting into that plan because they didn't keep their mystery a secret. They wrote it down for us. And it's recorded in Corinthians and many of the other books. So you can understand the mystery knowledge that they received. You don't have to read Shirley MacLaine. How do you know she's telling the truth? Some of you are going to wander into that stuff. How do you know that her Romfra, how do you know that her great wizard, whatever she calls him, how do you know that he's really accurate? Don't you know that Satan is an angel of light? 
and loves to tell lies and deceitfulness, I guarantee that some of you are going to go wandering into exoteric knowledge. You're going to go out there into the world system and you're going to want to find out what's beyond. Some of you are going to try to do it with drugs. Some of you are going to try to do it by getting deeply involved in Eastern religions. I guarantee some of you will, will move out of the knowledge, the truth of God. And all I want you to remember, we warned you, you don't have to go anywhere. It's right here in this precious book. Jonathan asked me, why didn't God give us some kind of a special message, something along that line? And I, I really identify with that question. I've often asked myself that. You know, why doesn't God send us a message from space? Or why doesn't he give us a radio broadcast? Why doesn't he give us a TV cat? Why doesn't he give us a video? Just hit me. He gave us a book. Can read it. How many of you have the Bible, the book in your home? How many of you have two, three, four, five? Boy, God's really failed in the job, hasn't he? The tragedy is we don't understand that all the treasures of knowledge are right there. That's what really concerns me. You know, I believe sometimes God in heaven is very grieved because he has spoken. See, all of us want God to do the trick. You understand what I mean by that? We all want God to do the trick. And God doesn't do the trick. He does the most simple, common thing, just like when he became a baby and was born in the manger. God revealed his truth through a simple book, a profound book. Will we read it? That's where all the knowledge is. Well, Paul thanked the Lord for the knowledge that the Corinthians had. It said that they did not lack. They were especially gifted into their eloquent proclamation of the gospels, the way we could translate the word in your speaking in verse 5 and in their knowledge. And this in verse 6, this giftedness became the confirmation of the testimony about Christ that was confirmed in them. Let's close by looking at these last two verses here. Therefore, you did not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. I trust with all my heart that you'll realize that the Corinthian church didn't lack any spiritual gift, no gift that was needed in order to build them up, and none of you will lack any of those gifts. Any gift that's needed to build the body of Christ, any gift that's needed to help believers grow, any ability from the Holy Spirit that's needed to help people to come to know Christ and to get close to him, Jesus will never allow his church to lack any gift. And I want you to understand something. I want to make something really clear. No matter what the charismatic debate might be, there's something that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No believer has every gift the Corinthian church spoke in tongues more than any other church, whether it was an ecstatic language or whether it was a foreign language. Whatever it was, I want you to know something. Not all the Corinthians did it. And the reason I mention this to you is that a friend of mine told me about a dear, dear lady who has a marvelous Christ-like spirit, his fellowship in the family of God for many years. She broke down with this friend of mine. She says, oh, I, if only I could speak in tongues. And this dear, dear lady has been going to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday trying to break through, trying to pray through, trying to learn how to do it, trying to get that special manifestation of the Spirit. I want to share something with you. Whatever the tongues debate might be, 
I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'll go to the stake for it, that that dear lady did not need to feel like that. The scripture never said that those who speak in tongues are the special ones in God's family. That's what the Corinthians had all confused. They had some marvelous tongue speakers in their group, and it became the focus of their entire group. And they began to think, we're the elite ones. And Paul wrote them, 1 Corinthians 13. When you compare things like patience and not keeping a record of wrongs done, of being gentle, of having long-suffering, all those marvelous gifts of love, when you compare those with this miraculous ability to speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you might speak with the tongues of men or of angels, speak like Billy Graham or Gabriel. If you don't have love in your heart, if you're puffed up with that knowledge, it doesn't mean anything. And it's possible that that dear, dear Christian lady was struggling to get an experience that the Lord never really intended for her to have. And instead of being able to rejoice in the unbelievable depth of experience the Lord was giving her to her, she was trapped into a false standard of what makes someone in. The other thing I want to tell you is something about these gifts. Did you hear what I just said? They're gifts. You know, at Christmas time, my dad never said, now, now David, go out and mow the lawn and mow it exactly right. I got a list of 10 things here. Wax the car. Go in and help your mom in the kitchen. And my dad evaluated me on all of those things. And then on Christmas morning, I really never got my gifts till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But it took me all that time. And to be honest with you, about 9 times out of 10, I didn't get any gifts at Christmas. Because I never waxed the car exactly right. I just couldn't get it right. I mean, I didn't get it like this. And, you know, by the time I got in to help my mom, the dishes were already done, so I lost out. So to be honest with you, it wasn't until I got married and I met Mary that I got my first Christmas gifts. If you believe that, you're hokey. You say, Dave, what are you getting at? Do you know what gifts are? Every little child knows what a gift is. You know what a gift is? It's just getting. You just get it. You don't get it because Santa Claus thinks you're good. That's not a gift. That's payment. Santa Claus comes every year and gives you payment for services rendered. If that's your concept. The kid says, I've been good. Give me my presents. That's not what Christmas is. But you know what Christmas is? It's people that don't deserve it. People that have been bad. People that have been ugly. People that have been real, real problems. And sinners. And God gives them a good gift anyway. That's what he did in the manger. And that's what he does in spiritual gifts. You know why I can preach? You know why for the last few minutes something's been happening inside of you? I'll tell you why. It has nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing in the ultimate sense. I have young men that ask me, you think, I, you think I should preach? I say, how do I know? I'll tell you what, you want to know whether you should preach or not? If you can do anything else, as so many great preachers have said, do it. I could not stop preaching. You say, what do you mean by that? It's inside of me. It's a special ability the Lord gave to me. 
Some of you that are not gifted, if I told you, you got to speak for 45 minutes Sunday morning, get ready. You need to start getting ready on Monday and you'd study 50 and 60 hours and you'd get up here and everyone would still be, oh, brother, here we go again. It's a gift. I didn't earn it. I disciplined it. I trained. But all that training and all that work and all that study wouldn't mean anything. Unless the Spirit of God, just in a total gift of grace, just moved through us. Not because of abilities that human people have. It's all of grace. It's a miracle. The gift of God's Spirit pours out His grace, His giftedness on every one of you. I trust that many of you will find out what your abilities are. I want you to remember two things. I want you to be thankful for God's grace in the present. The giftedness you have. But Paul closes by thanking the Lord. You're going to make it home. You're going to be blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. And that's God's grace in the future. I just close with this. This is my 85th birthday, this lady wrote. And her dear Walter died June 1st. I want to tell you why I spoke to you about the gospel today and why I spoke to you about the resurrection. Because here's an 85-year-old lady. Kids, this lady has lived. Listen carefully. On June 1st, Walter died suddenly. He was 86. He was the oldest of our large family, always the life of family gatherings, and was spiritual mentor to us all. We miss him. He left us some choice reflections found in his Bible. In 1976, he wrote, I, Walter M. Rohr, received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, April 1914, age 13, and was born again according to John 1, 12, and 13. I never regretted this. It has been the joy and comfort of my life. I am at this writing 75 years of age, 62 years saved. I have been kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.5 I owe all to the Lord Jesus Christ. His love for the Bible, the Word of God, was outstanding. He also wrote, This book locks and interlocks, twines and intertwines, until it blends into one harmonious whole. Why? Because God wrote it. This old world has a way of chilling us down to its temperature. But the Holy Spirit has a way of warming our hearts for the Lord. We have a choice. I am 62 years saved. Is that what someone's going to be able to read about your life when you're home with the Lord? That's what Thanksgiving is all about. Here's a man that lived to be 86 years old. And his family has that precious testament of his testimony that when he was 13, he met the Christ. That's what Thanksgiving's about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Paul's Thanksgiving as he puts his nut back on the table. Paul reaches out to all of you and he hugs you to his side and says, I'm thankful for God's grace to you. The cross, the resurrection that's made you gifted children of God. I thank the Lord for God's grace that when we're finally home, when Christ appears to take us home to be with him, 
you will stand before the throne of God blameless. Not because of works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy. 